A lot of my early investments, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Tumblr had started becoming big and I was really trying to decide what I wanted to do with my career. In 2011, I took over, in September 2011, I took over kind of being the CEO of the agency. We were 29 people and in the last uh, four years, I, I grew up from 30 people to, now we're almost 600 people. So I think what happened in that period of time was a couple of other things which was, you know, I, I have a feeling a lot of people here don't know who I am. I grew up in a liquor store in New Jersey and grew my dad's liquor business from a three to a $70 million business in five years using e-com, email marketing, Google AdWords and banner ads. So I'd been the byproduct of not having a lot of money in a small family business deploying it against the arbitrage of where the market thought media should go versus where I thought it should go and felt the actual selling of stuff results of it. So when I got into the agency world, I think what has been our disproportionate advantage is I truly want to sell the product. I really, I really am not too worried about um, our own margin because I'm land grabbing. Uh, I'm not too worried about awards because I think that's a proxy to get more talent and more clients and I feel like I'm good at that. Um, I just really, really wanted to sell stuff because I thought that that would give us the best air cover uh, to actually keep business and grow business. A funny thing happens, we've all, we're all in the game, right? You sit in these rooms and everybody's high-fiving themselves for great modeling, media mix results and Nielsen's health results and everybody's high-fiving. I came from a pure business background where like the sales were to sales. I would literally sit in these meetings and everybody's like, everything's great. Like the PR company would walk in and say, we got 887 trillion impressions for this you know, placement. And then you know, somebody else would come in and say, this was the greatest lift, the ROA and everything was so great and then you know I'm just kind of really was naive eyes I would say real quick I kind of read the brief coming into this isn't our business down 29% and then everybody would be like yeah but there must be something I'm like yes you're quantifying the wrong shit <laughs> so how do you quantify the right shit <laughs> I like that you're coming along for this ride. Um, I think you quantify it and I think this is, you know it's funny, I think you do it. A lot of my clients who either were fans of my work or were excited to work with us, a lot of our junior clients or sometimes the senior client because I came from high levels because I had a lot of relationships, they would always be perplexed by our meetings in 2011, 12 and 13 specifically I think and even now they're always like, man, you, like the meeting would end, they'd be my rabbi in this situation and they would say, man, you really don't have to make your work so quantifiable. So I think the way you measure the right stuff is you actually force your client, you suffocate the conversation into putting everything on the line and justifying the spend. Now that's hard. I come from e-com, it was easy, right? And I owned the liquor store, it was easy. I'd run direct mail, I'd see the customer account go up. I'd run banner, you know, I just quantified everything because I had the full funnel. When, you know, we have Pepsi, we have Unilever, you know, we have, when we have these kind of clients, it's kind of hard. They're selling it at big box stores, there's a lot of other media running at the same time. You don't have the feedback loop, you can't, you know, connect the dots. I find it fascinating that right now, if you ask me who our happiest clients were at VaynerMedia, they're all the clients in e-com because they can quantify our success black and white. There is just no debate. I think what you try to do is create tests or controlled environments. A lot of my CPG clients, I ask them, can you give me 
Uh, we, have, we have major alcohol brands. I know, because I come from the alcohol industry, that the state of Pennsylvania is a liquor controlled state. The state sells everything. I always say to them, hey, let me run my stuff just in Pennsylvania. You've got your baseline sales, then we can actually see if that's what works. So I'm always the one in the room you know, it's funny, I bet most people in this room, and I have empathy for why you think this, think that social media is still struggling to find its ROI and things of that nature. I actually think it's, you know, for me, in the world that I live in, it's the most black and white place if you allow a black and white place environment to justify it. I think a lot of times people think that I'm rogue with my ideas, and I feel like I'm the most practical person ever. The only North Star I have is create absolutely no debate if the things that you're doing are driving the business. What you have to do is you have to get the client to tell you the truth of what the business is and then you've got to try to reverse engineer and sell it and the only thing I try to follow is people's attention and if you're in this room right now and you don't realize that people's attention is in a phone and disproportionately within social networks of that phone, well then you're just not paying attention. And interesting if you look at China and the massive social networks and mobile apps there, they are much more closely linked to e-commerce. And that's why the investment there has grown because there is no debate. We're in the US, we're in a a world where everybody is justifying everything on reports and everybody here knows that everybody in this room is capable of reverse engineering a report to justify the spend. So we're playing an inside bullshit game. The end. And and by the way, let's make this point. 50% of this room just looked me dead in the face and shook their heads yes. That in itself needs to be debated and what the fuck is going on. Right? We know, I mean, people know, but they're playing within the confines of the game. And I have empathy for that. You've got bosses, you've got numbers to hit, you've got your own, you've got rent, college loans. I get it. But that doesn't, that's a separate conversation to what actually drives business. Do you find that your clients are set up to give you the data so you can even prove those numbers, though? Is there a problem with a lot of client systems are not? not set up themselves, so the agencies, the agencies could be doing so much more in real time if they were getting quicker data instead of data like three months down the line, which has been... 100% yes, but I'll go, to, I'll go it further. I think a lot of our clients, and I'm not mad at them either, I have empathy for their game, they're playing the same damn game, actually don't want everything to be black and white. Because it's, it's, not in their vested, it's not in their vested interest that they live in a corporate environment where they've invested into going through a certain path. They know the check boxes they have to hit for their own interest and they run through that path and I respect that. That machine creates that environment. I used to be mad at them but I'm like, oh no, no, no. This is the company's fault for creating that environment. So, you know, listen, it's complicated but for me, what kind of gives me the energy I'm projecting right now is there needs to be two separate conversations, not one blended one which really breaks down into let's recognize why we do certain things, but then let's also have a totally separate conversation to the ROI of what these things are doing. I mean, it is so much easier for me to justify the ROI of digital behavior than traditional behavior, and it's not even close. And so I sit around in rooms where L'Oreal is a client of ours, and they're completely mixed up on why this isn't working, and then a company that I wrote the first investment check into called Birchbox, was gone from zero to 400 million in revenue, and does all their behavior through a Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram environment, and can quantify every damn cent, including what you're seeing now happening in marketing, which is Uber and Airbnb and all these startups now have a lot of money, and they're starting to do some traditional media because they've saturated digital, and they're curious, and they're all my homies from that world, because that's where I came from, are calling me and they're like, hey Gary, can you tell me how we need to quantify television? I go, I have no fucking idea. It's some GRP horse shit. I don't know. (laughs) 
And so, the, you know, like there's, you know, it's a very, for me it's super funny because I literally live two separate lives. I live VaynerMedia's life where I have big clients who've accepted traditional metrics as the KPIs while they don't match their actual business results. And then I have my startup culture world with all my startups where everything has to be quantifiable and none of the traditional stuff they can wrap their head around. It is literally bizarro world. So you think in a, in a funny way advertising has had a measurement system over the years that everyone's bought into, so it's kind of worked because everybody bought into it, but it's actually not that based on reality. Of course. Yeah. Like, of course. That's how awards have any value in this industry because it's a proxy that you can leverage against. It's, it's insanity when you come to it in fresh eyes. It's insanity. So do these uh, terms like advertising, media, digital, PR, do they actually mean anything anymore? I mean, what? Of course they do. I mean, listen, on the flip side, I understand the energy I'm bringing to the table. Like, I believe in all this stuff. I believe in marketing and sales and branding and I believe in it with all my heart. I just feel that the way we're quantifying the results is backwards. I mean, of course a great video that somebody sees and changes their emotion makes them want to buy things. Like, it, of course, but how many people in this room actually watch a commercial is really fascinating. I mean, here's a funny Twitter data point. Everybody spends money on sports advertising because people watch sports. My friends, once and for all, there's a very big difference between watching television and consuming television commercials. Nobody's saying everybody's stopping and watching, break, people are gonna watch Breaking Bad. The second a commercial, this, this smart of an audience, the second a commercial goes on in your household, you directly grab your phone and you pick up on your work or you talk about LeBron's awesome dunk. You are definitely not watching some Jeep drive up a fucking mountain. <laughs> and that's just, as, that's just as true of live sports, appointment of view events as it is of something, otherwise you watch it on catch up. The set, guys, let me tell you about my biggest mistake professionally so far. I wrote a book in 2009, it was called Crush It. It kind of put me on the map, it talked about social media. If you go to the acknowledgements of that book, I, I thank my entire family and one random human being, Travis Kalkinick. Travis is the CEO of Uber and one of my best friends. I passed on investing in Uber. You heard about the good ones. Let me tell you about the bad ones. Uber, I passed on investing in Uber twice. Twice, he begged me the second time at $4 million valuation. It's at a $60 billion valuation. The normal $50,000 check that I write, that if I would have written to that investment, would be worth $196 million. Okay? Now, let's talk about this. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> but when, when Uber came to New York, Travis hit me up, I was out of town, so he went to go see my brother AJ. My brother AJ took the first Uber ride in New York City. He is rider zero. He tested it. When he tested it, it hit me. He, he ordered it in VaynerMedia's old office when we were 20 people, and he went downstairs and there it was. And it hit me, holy crap. Uber doesn't sell transportation, Uber sells time. My friends, Uber sells time. Time in the 24 hour 
365-day world that we now all live in has become dramatically more valuable. Because I'm not a kid. I grew up in a time where the world did stop the work time at six, seven, eight. I was a workaholic, I worked till nine, right? Like I, I grew up in that environment. Now it's 24-7. As you guys know, clients, there's a, you get an email at 11 p.m., plenty of people expect you to reply at 11.01, especially if they know you go to sleep at midnight, right? Like we are on, right? We are on. So time has become dramatically more valuable. Do you know what advertising does in our society right now, the way it's structured? It steals your time. It takes the one thing you care about now more than your, besides health and money, time is the only thing you guys care about and it is now stealing your time. You went to ESPN.com to read an article, you didn't come there for a pop-up ad for Samsung to force you to watch a video for 30 seconds. You went to watch a kid fall off a tree on YouTube, you didn't come for that 15 second pre-roll for Nissan. Right? This is not what we came for. Advertising as it's structured now steals your time. It worked in 1972 when you sat on your goddamn ass and you didn't have a remote control and Happy Days was rolling through and you saw the popcorn ad. That's fine, but as soon as the remote control came, that started the process of technology shifting away from consumption. And that's the game. Technology is now moving so quickly that it's starting to give us back what we want. When TiVo was invented, that was a problem for the commercial. It's now playing itself out. That's just the way it's gonna be. And so that's it. And now, I mean, I've been talking about this for three years, I'm like, wait till the operating systems block your ads. Well, here we are, finally. iOS's update, it's bad if you're buying on the banner exchange. It's bad and it's great for the end consumer. So we're gonna have to reinvent what advertising means and what I think advertising needs to mean to really be effective is it needs to bring you value. And value comes in the form of entertainment. Value comes in the form of utility. It comes in a lot of different forms. But the mechanisms, the days of I wanna read this magazine, I'm gonna turn the page to finish my article. Oh wait a minute, here's a a makeup ad, I gotta go around it. That stole my second. That second used to mean jack shit. That second matters now. Let me show you how. By show of hands, how many people in this room, we've gotta go honest now. How many people in this room are now upset when another human being calls them. Raise your hand. (laughs) Hold it high, hold it high real quick. I just wanna see this. Raise it higher. I want everybody to see this. Look around everybody. Hold it, keep it, hold it. My man, 60% of this room is actually upset when any time a human being calls them. Think about that. That is unbelievable. When I asked this question two and a half years ago, most people didn't understand what I was referring to. Like a couple of people raised their hands, everybody else would look at them. You know, calling somebody? That was just a normal way we communicated. What we've all figured out in this room is, why are you connect, why are you trying to communicate with me on your time? This is my time. You stole something of value from me while you tried to sell me your shit. So the people in this room would probably say that actually the future of advertising is PR because of PR relationship is a brought-in relationship where the person has made a conscious decision to access that content or to engage with that brand, etc. What do you think of that? I, mean, I, I think PR has its own set of challenges because I think in general where we consume our media from is changing, right? And you know, I think of I think in the world of social media, and by the way, real quick, I On on social media, just for kicks and giggles, I truly believe that social media is a slang term for the current state of the internet. 
I mean, there's nothing social media about Pinterest. These are media content platforms. Twitter's probably the closest thing to an actual social media platform, right? But Twitter and Facebook, if you Google it right now, we're both referred to Web 2.0 sites. We always need a word to kind of sum things up. It's just the current state of the internet. And the current state of the internet is there's massive fragmentation and media, you know, media publications as we traditionally knew them are getting are being competed with with human beings with micromedia contra, you know sites and so the, the long tail of PR is the challenge how do you really get the value plus there's so many human individuals now that can create awareness so I think PR challenge is like everybody's challenge which is it's getting spread wide I'm not I mean look I think PR I think everything's great I, I by the way I think the Super Bowl commercial ad is massively underpriced. I think a Super Bowl commercial ad is probably worth $25 million. Because every human being in America is gonna see it, whether they see it that day or the week before on YouTube. Now the creative is the variable if you're gonna be successful. But there's, there, I have no heart to like new, I mean as a matter of fact, when my clients call me and say, Gary, great news, we're going 50% digital. I usually get even more scared because I know what that means is banner pre-roll, video pre-roll on YouTube, buying bullshit on the exchange where they don't even know where that creative shows up. It's the bottom left-hand corner of some cockamanian website that's running a Facebook arbitrage media backend. Like, like it's, to me, it's just show me where the attention is. And so if PR is placed in a place that everybody's reading and it brings positive brand equity to that brand, that's great. I just think it's, you know, I think P, the P, my PR friends, I always, I made the joke already, I think we have to have solid metrics there. You can't take credit for the monthly traffic of a website and quantify your article 16 links deep on that website as how many impressions that article got. And there's a lot of that practice. Just like in social media, there's a lot of practice of somebody getting a tweet from a celebrity and quantifying that 14 million people saw it. How about zero people saw it? How about the fact that Twitter's got such a fire hose problem that nobody's consuming anything on that platform as much as they used to because they didn't create an algorithm and that created their vulnerability because time matters so much to us that we'd rather just scream through it than actually unfollow somebody. How about that? Because it's time again. Yes, sir. I'm gonna open it up to the audience, so think up your questions. Last one from me. When you started doing your Facebook consultancy for clients, it was a very different environment. Yes. These, these channels change every week. You can construct a strategy and Facebook will change the goalposts. Pretty primarily paid now. What are you advising your clients? You mean like every other media platform well, in the yeah. world? Well, I don't know. I mean, well, yes, you do know. TV, Here's, I mean, it's very, TV? Changed its, its no, but you, no, no, I mean, you, no, I don't mean it changes, which I agree with. I mean, everybody got so emotional that you have to pay for Facebook. Right, they, they flipped the rug from underneath us. It used to be organic. Everything is pay to play and more importantly, it's effective. So while people still reconciled with their feelings, the best executors and practitioners disproportionately took value of the underpriced marketplace that it created. As far as changing the goalposts and things of that nature, so did TV at first. You used to do sponsorship. Ed Sullivan's show was brought to you by Lincoln Town Car. Then somebody came up with the model of the 30 second ad and the market moved. We're in the beginning, they're changing. Tough luck, like the market's hard. Nobody gives a shit about you. Like the end, like nobody, like you know how pissed I am that social media came along? I had digital figured out. I built a big ass business on it. I loved SEO. Like I was all about banner retargeting. I followed your asses until you gave up and bought wine for free. I mean, I did it. I had it. 
It was good. Like, you know how fun it was for me with YouTube? YouTube was four months old when I started Wine Library TV. Tons of people were watching me. Like, I loved it. Like, like this is exhausting. I'm pissed. Like, fuck, now we have like, really? We have animated fucking selfie things? Like, rainbows are coming out of my mouth? I get it. Like, like you've got to keep up with this shit 24-7. I'm getting old. I turned 40 in November. I'm pissed. But nobody cares. Like, sorry, fucking Poland Springs. Nobody cares that the world is moving. That's what's gonna happen, and it's our job to figure out how to bring value to those people to do what we want them to do. And that's just the market. That's, look, some dude bought 8,000 horses before the car was invented. He lost, right? <laughs> like, like, the market moved on him. The, the price of a horse declined. And, and so, and so, to sit around and be upset that innovation's moving and you wish it was the way it was is fine. You're more than welcome. It's just a, it's a proxy to losing. Good lesson. Don't Poland Springs didn't play to sponsor that. Um, all right, who's got some questions for Gary? Rehiring? <laughs> Always. Yes. Please. My whole crew's sitting right behind you. You can start it now. One at the back there. Yeah. I know it's always a this is cool now. This is why you need to watch the Ask Gary V show. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. Gary, thanks for your insight. Thank you. Very, Thank you. very entertaining. <laughs> uh, question for yes, you about dear. Facebook. Yes. Just open-ended question. Please. What is your view of Facebook now? I think Facebook right this minute is one of the single best ad products in the last 20 years of marketing. Follow up. The people using Facebook seem to be getting older. Great, they have more money. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and, and I'll give you more so we're not just entertaining. Don't forget Facebook owns Instagram and now we're deploying that logic there. I mean, this is why Zucks is so smart. He's always tried to buy attention. That's why I offered three billion for Snapchat. Imagine we were sitting in a room right now and Facebook owned Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat. They'd own the entire ecosystem 13 to 70. Right? And so Facebook's incredible. I mean, we're like 70-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, and 50, 60, and 70 are paying attention so carefully to their feed, they're converting at a scary rate, right? 30 and 40 are still very much there converting at ridiculous scale. What's even scarier, if you're an actual practitioner, you realize that 21 to 25 is converting like crazy. They might not be there 16 times a day like they used to, but you only need them to check once. You didn't watch Friends 87 times, right? You watched it once, we got the commercial in front of you, good. So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's stunningly good. I think Instagram, in 2016 will probably be the best all-time ad product ever because while people debate the ROI and uh, is anybody over 40 on it and all these dumb things we always do or while media buying agencies try to quantify if they can make enough money against their, spont- you know, against their VIG with their client and so if they can't, they won't recommend it. While that's all happening, there's gonna be ungodly amounts of attention on Instagram ads that are gonna convert because it's early and the supply and demand curve is disproportionately valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Questions? Isn't there a danger with Facebook? I mean, because people take all their opinions from it now, and none of this stuff is checked. I've seen people in Europe taking opinions about the refugee crisis are totally wrong. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk. I think that's a great question. Or 
In the old days, we took our opinion from three old white men that owned all the media companies and told you what to think. There's two options. You think of it from the undereducated masses or you take it from the educated puppets of the billionaires that drove the agenda that they wanted down your mouth. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Question over there, Lindsay. Hey. Hey. All right. Hi. So you mentioned how pop-up ads and all that steal our time. Yes. So what are views on um, native ads, or like the listicles and Buzzfeed, yeah. where you know, like a kitty litter company yeah. with cats? I, I think that. Um, <clears throat> It's a great question. I think that it has the same slide as everything. Look, I think Facebook, I think social media ads are gonna disproportionately get worse. They're gonna get more expensive because more people are gonna realize they work. We're gonna tune them out more as we become adjusted to that behavior, right? So I think a lot of the BuzzFeed type stuff at first did really well because it was really native. In the beginning, the brand was really integrated two or three years ago, like in the list and a picture of it, and it was newish, and they did better. Now we're so used to everything saying 18 weird things that happen on Thursday that we're tuning out the 18 and 12s and the 9s as much as we you know, loved them three years ago as a collective data set. Plus the brands are not integrated as well because BuzzFeed scaled and now 13 funny things that happen at home is like brought to you by Tide in a little box and it's not really integrated. So they've scaled which has disproportionately brought less value in my opinion to the brand. I think it's still a great option. I think there's value there. I think you gotta push it creatively to get there. Um, but it's all the same game. I have no heart for anything. I know 360 video's coming, I know virtual reality's coming, I know we have contact lenses that allow us to record everything. <laughs> like, there's a plenty of technology and innovation coming. I just think it's important that we always audit where the actual attention really is and then reverse engineer if the price is disproportionately valuable at that moment. And then you just look for those moments. So, I think you know, two years ago I was massively bullish. Today, I still think that it's better than a crap load. I mean, do you know how much money is being bought programmatic where nobody knows where that shows up and nobody's consuming it? So like those digital dollars I feel fine in a BuzzFeed world, but compared to a Facebook targeted where I can target a 29-year-old woman who has two kids who I know buys toothpaste, get the hell out of here. Right? I mean, Facebook is like FSI 4.0 if you want to go conversion. It's, it's, it, and it doesn't kill your brand because you actually can market. It's better than search because those are just blue letters. It does nothing for your brand. But here you can go visual pictures or video. And listen, the, re, if they keep, the dislike button is such a smart proxy to where they're going, which is they just want their data to be smarter and smarter and smarter. They tweak everything predicated. If they see a dip, in user behavior, not using it, they analyze it to the cows come home and adjust the product because they've been smart enough to realize the only thing they have is their users. Their entire business is that. So they will disproportionately try to bring you value and they will stop ads if it doesn't bring, you don't buy a placement in Viacom and then the ad shows up, the commercial, and they say, you know what, that's a shitty ad. We're not gonna charge you for running that or we're gonna stop it. They just take the money because they don't care about the audience. There's no proxy there. Whereas Facebook's stuck into that, they know that. Gary, Stacey DeBroff, Influence Um, You've always been a disruptor, and um, it's amazing how fast you've grown VaynerMedia yeah. um, from sort of your own, I remember when early days you were on a, like a stepsole in New York, just sort of spouting out what you were thinking about. He's Not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think though, as you're earning all this business and your agency is growing so rapidly, what is it that you're bringing from a big perspective of disruption that's um, gaining you all this clients and traction? We're proving that we're selling stuff. 
It's so crazy, like every single time I hear you've always been known as a disruptor, literally when you said that, in my mind it said out of practicality. I just think, I truly believe in the entire ecosystem of agency world, I truly believe that I'm the single most practical. Is the other agency dead then? No, I mean there's, nothing is dead or alive. You know, it's, it's not that it's dead. Anybody who doesn't bring value should die. <laughs> right, and so I think what's gonna happen is if, somebody, if somebody's romantic about what should be done. If somebody is romantic about a television 30 second spot, they're gonna create themselves a vulnerability as data continues to prove out its lack of ROI, right? And so, but can a 30 second commercial be tremendous? Of course it can. I think what's gonna happen is the market is gonna continue to push itself. Look, you can't have an environment where method does all its proper digital work and starts really getting on the radar of Unilever and J&J and saying, wait, they laughed. Procter & Gamble laughed at Dollar Shave Club until they didn't. And so eventually this stuff plays itself out, right? Like everybody made fun of me in 1996 for launching an e-commerce wine business in the wine world. This kid is gonna do this, yeah. People are gonna buy wine on the world wide web. <laughs> right? Like, like nobody's gonna do that. And some of you remember this and some of you won't raise your hand for this. Some of you thought it was a fad. Like the internet, this thing is 20 years old, this is new. And, so, and then everybody justified that it was a fad because Wall Street played its game and overvalued everything, so when it crumbled, I was like, see, told you. Meanwhile, Amazon was becoming the single most important retailer. So I think that, I think that the reason it's working for us is I'm not scared to get fired at all. I, I, I run, I usually, so look at all the advantages I have in building my business model. You guys know this world better than I do. My first year on 99% of my clients is a loss. I massively over deliver on the scope because I'm trying to build lifetime value. So right off the bat, I'm winning. I don't have some person telling me to dictate at a holding company that I have to run on 21 points, right? I have to look at myself and know what I'm up to. So I disproportionately over bring value. We really know what we're talking about on, on this subject matter, you know why? Because the CEO is the best practitioner at it in the whole fucking company. That helps when it stems from the top. Nobody can sneak around and shoot hyperbole that isn't true. That's important. And then, because I need them to last for two to three years to make a business model work for me in a world where I lose if they fire me after one year, I disproportionately pressure them into quantifying my work because once I prove that, when they start to, do you know what starts happening when real smart people actually get it and understand that we're selling stuff? Do you understand what happens to the questions they start asking all their other partners? Do you know how silly the conversation becomes? How fast that becomes silly when they know my stuff's selling and they have no idea what the hell your stuff's doing? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>